Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of geek to me Radio. Tonight, we're talking with the prolific, legendary writer Chuck Dixon. We'll be talking about the latest book in his Levon Cade series. We'll talk about a Kickstarter he recently did called Hunter Ninja Bear. And we're going to get into his comic book works as well. All that and more. Stick around. We're talking TV, comics and movies, and video games. If you're driving around the greater St. Louis area tonight listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS, hello to all of you. If you're streaming us out there in the world, wherever you might be, uh, via the KTRS app or maybe uh, via the stream itself on the web, hello to you as well. And of course, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form, we appreciate you tuning in and listening. If you're only hearing us in the podcast form, you do have a chance to tune in every Sunday. You can hear it live, and we uh, can take your calls and text on the KTRS text line at 84126. You can call the station. Tonight, my guest is not live, but we did have a lovely conversation. Uh, Chuck Dixon is someone who I've been reading his work in comic books for decades. He obviously is the co-creator of Bane, Stephanie Brown's spoiler character, the fourth Robin, and of course did extensive work on the Tim Drake Robin series, both the miniseries and of course his first ongoing solo series as well. Uh, Birds of Prey, I mean, if I were to sit here and go on to all the stuff he's talked about, it would take up the entire show, but we're going to let his work speak for itself. Here's the man himself, Chuck Dixon. Right now we're talking with prolific writer Chuck Dixon. Uh, if you picked up a comic book anywhere, anywhere between now all the way back to 1980s, I'm sure you've read one of his stories with a ridiculous amount of titles he's worked on, and he's got a book series. We've got the latest coming out now in the Levon Cade series, Levon's Prey, available on Amazon and hopefully at local bookstores as well starting July 12th. Chuck, how are you? Very good, very good. How about you? Doing well. I appreciate the time today. I, I got to say, I grew up reading so many of your comic books. Honestly, you probably couldn't go to a comic book store and go to a you know a new comic book day on a Wednesday and not get one of your stories with the amount of uh, stuff you were churning out. Yeah, I was always there. <laughs> <laughs> Heavily the Batman titles, obviously the Punisher too. I'm interested. The Levon Cade series. It's uh, kind of this thriller. Uh, he's a little bit, uh, to me, a little Jack Reacher, a little bit just that, that kind of badass kind of guy you're used to not wanting to run into. And if I'm not mistaken, I saw on your website that the TV series have been optioned by Sylvester Stallone's Balboa Productions. Is that correct as well? Yeah, yeah. So I got to ask right at the top of my head, who do you see playing LeVon Cade? Uh, I've always wanted Lucas Black. Okay. 
Uh, he's from Alabama, so he's already got the accent, and he's got the kind of physicality I picture Levon having. And what about so, his daughter, Mary? I don't know. I don't know. You know, give some new kid a chance. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this cast of Stranger Things came out of nowhere, and now they've taken the world by storm. So you always want some of the someone new to have a chance. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with this being the 10th book in the series, how do you, how far in advance do these ideas for the plots come to your brain? Are you are you already like working in your head on what book 14 will entail as you're finishing book 10? How, do, how does the process work for you? I'm usually one book ahead. Uh, book 11 is completed. And, I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm putting book 12 together. And then do you have an end point? Like, is this just going to be an ongoing? Obviously, like Ian Fleming wrote James Bond up until his death, went on with John Gardner and a bunch of other people picking up after him. Is this something you don't really see an end to as long as the ideas keep coming to your brain? Yeah, yeah. As long as I come up with, you know, ways that, you know, aren't, you know, totally contrived or formulaic. As long as I come up with, you know, a new plot line for Levon. Because I've tried to keep the plot lines varied. In the books, they're not they're not all, you know, uh, him seeking a guy for revenge. You know, yeah. there's there's a there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, you don't know who you're messing with stories. And then um, this most uh, the next one, the eleventh one in the series, is is akin to a western almost. Oh wow! It, it's called Levon's Range. So, um, but uh, yeah, I try to try to mix it up. But I'll, you know, as long as I keep coming up with ideas, I'll keep writing them. And to your point, too, it, it is not just a, a guy bent on revenge, kind of a, like a Taken-type story. There's, I think, one of the books, I can't remember if it's the second or the third, where his car gets stolen, and he has to go find the people who did it because he's got diamonds there. So it's just like, well, that's kind of a horrible thing to have happen. Now i got to go track these people down. So it is kind of a unique series in that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's a vigilante, but he's also very much an outlaw. He's working outside the law, so... You know, he's being hunted by bad guys that he ticked off, as well as uh, federal agencies. So, obviously, you worked for Marvel Comics on the Punisher run. Whereabouts did Levon come about in your mind? Was it before you were working on Punisher, after? Was it kind of anything inspired by Frank Castle's story at all? Well, I've always been attracted to that kind of story, the one guy alone uh, against the system kind of guy uh, working outside the law. Uh, and, and the Punisher is always my favorite character to write. And he, um, he's the only character I would think of stories even after I wasn't being paid to think of stories. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, I don't think of Batman stories now, but I'm always thinking, wow, Punisher would be here. You, you see things in the news and you go, man, Punisher would be right in the middle of this. And, uh, so I just, I kind of had to scratch that itch. So I thought, well, let me create my own series with my own, uh, you know, badass vigilante. It's interesting that you say you don't think of Batman stories partially because I think you've told just about everything that could possibly happen to Batman <laughs> during this run. But but that's interesting because Batman has more of that superhero element versus uh, I don't know if you'd say anti-hero or that that more just realistic gritty vigilante that Punisher is. But what do you think in your mind causes that separation for the two characters? Well, Batman is a fantasy character; he's a wish fulfillment character. Um, and, you know, his universe is pretty complicated, and there's a lot of different kinds of Batman stories you can tell. Uh, Punisher, you know, is more grounded in reality, I think. Sure. It's grimmer. 
Um, you know, he, he represents every negative male stereotype. <laughs> so, <laughs> in a way, he's his, he's his own male wish fulfillment fantasy, you know, the Slav hero. But, uh, but yeah, Batman's, um, that, that universe is far more complex. To your point earlier about how prolific you were putting out books and how you were there every, every Wednesday on a new comic book day with a shelf, I, what I collect is framed promo posters. So I get the promo posters that went out to the comic book store, and I get them custom framed and mounted. And then if I can, I get them signed by the artists and writers. And just out of the seven posters currently on my wall, two of them have your name on them. There's the Dead Man's <laughs> Hand uh, from the Daredevil Nomad Punisher War Journal crossover. I've got that one. And then I've got the Batman Knight's End uh, promo poster as well hanging in my wall. So just right out of the seven posters, two of them, two of them are yours. That's, that's pretty good odds, I'd say. That is. That is. That's definitely a sign of my, uh, you know, uh, of me being prolific. So. And interestingly enough, when you look at different creators, their, uh, their comic book database, if you will, all the different titles they've worked on, usually they'll, they'll have mostly Marvel and or DC, and then they might do like Kitchen Sink Press or Image Comics. I was not as much blown away because I knew you were very prolific, but the a number of companies for which you've written. I don't think I've ever seen one writer have that many different comic book companies under their belt. That alone is impressive. You know, I was never a specialist. I never like just wrote horror or just wrote superheroes. I like anything you throw at me. So, you know, when the editor for SpongeBob SquarePants approached me, I'm like, yeah, okay, let me take a shot at that. (laughs) Right. From from Punisher to SpongeBob, that needs to be the name of your autobiography, maybe. (laughs) That's, That's quite the range for sure. (laughs) <laughs> and so are you a consumer of pop culture Cause I, if i'm not mistaken you grew up reading comic books but are you a big uh like even now currently watching movies and tv series or do you kind of you've probably not got a lot of time with all the writing you're doing on these other books but do you consume a lot of pop culture oh yeah yeah i'm always watching something or reading something or you know listening to something so <laughs> What what have you been watching on TV lately, or uh, has there been a film of 2020 that's or not 2020? My brain's still back in the in the days of 2020. Uh, 2022 that's kind of really stood out to you. Uh, I um, yeah, I'm 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 in the middle of watching uh, Terminal List on Amazon. Okay, and uh, I'm enjoying that because it, it, it's kind of in the Levon vein. Yeah, uh, well, it's definitely in the Levon vein, <laughs> and um, you know, as, as far as movies go. Man, I can't, you know, I watch them and I can't remember what I watched because uh, I, I, well. I, I generally watch like one movie a day. Oh, wow. So, so um, you know, uh, lately I've been going back and, you know, you know, you watch the streaming stuff and sometimes it's disappointing. Uh, I've been going back and watching things I already know are good. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I rewatched like Bridge on the River Kwai recently because <laughs> I just like I just want to watch a movie that I know is good. Yeah, there's those comfort movies. I think someone on, on social media has asked the other day what your comfort movie is, and it's one of those things, anytime I turn on a TV, if I'm flipping through channels, no matter what point in the movie it's at, I will sit down and watch Mrs. Doubtfire, because that's just, it, to me, it's a classic. <laughs> I never get tired of it. My wife says, how can you just watch a movie in the middle of it? You've seen this 12 times. I don't care. It's Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> so uh, is that Bridge on River Kwai one of your, would you say, a comfort movie? Or is that just kind of like one of those ones that's it's a classic and you love it? That's just a classic. Uh, uh, the, the kind of movie you're talking about you know, would be like Dirty Dozen. Okay. You know, I could, I could, I could t- if, if I caught the last five minutes of Dirty Dozen, I'd watch it. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> there are just those movies, I think, that resonate. Where you, and as a child growing up, so let's talk a little bit about Chuck Dixon's origin story. What got you into writing? When was the first time that you knew writing is what you wanted to do as a career? When did he know he wanted to be a creator as a career? We're going to chat more with Chuck Dixon and get that answer from him. As soon as we come back from commercial break, we'll also talk about the recent Kickstarter he did, Hunter Ninja Bear, which is amazing to hear about. And, of course, we're going to talk comic books with the man himself. Chuck Dixon with us for the rest of the hour. Stick around. You're listening to geek to me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to geek to me Radio. We are back. geek to me Radio heard here every Sunday night on the Big 550 starting at 9 o'clock. That's 10 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Pacific for those of you listening online. Thank you very much to Joey V. That we're trying something new. He's actually snug and tucked away at home. He's streaming this remotely. So those of you who are watching it right now on YouTube, you guys don't even know it's Radio Magic. He's actually making this happen from the confines of his home. The confines of his home. I make it sound like he's under house arrest. But uh, so if you're watching this right now, huge thank you and shout out to Joey V if you're streaming this. He's the guy setting it all up. And, of course, hopefully he'll be back with us in the studio coming up. But we kind of want to experiment and see where the technology takes us and how this goes. So thanks very much to him for making the video portion of this possible. I want to make sure we tell you about our official comic book sponsor, Bugs Comics and Games. Hopefully, a lot of you get out to see them on Small Business Sunday, on Small Business Saturday, rather. And uh, or if they're open on Sundays, go see them on Sunday too. Bugs Comics and Games on Bryan Road in O'Fallon, Missouri. If you are not in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area and can't get out to them on Bryan Road, check out their website, BugsComicsAndGames.com. We're hopefully going to have Larry Quiggins, the owner of Bugs Comics, in the studio. One of these upcoming two Saturdays, December 4th or December the 11th, we've got a surprise guest. We're still nailing down the schedule on. I don't want to say anything more until I know I got him, but it'll be exciting to have Larry in studio. He always brings a wealth of comic book knowledge. If you were looking to get into comic book collecting, maybe you're seeing the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special like our listener Chance just mentioned. Maybe you're seeing Wakanda Forever and you're like, hey... What is all this based on? You're you're not familiar with the comic books. There's a whole rich history. Larry and Tim at Bugs Comics can be your gateway into that rich history. Go tell them what you want to read, what you're interested in. They'll set you up. If you're a longtime comic book collector, maybe you want to fill some holes in your backlog of comics, get some back issues. They got you covered there, too. They're always buying comics, so they always got new comics in store ready for you to view. And if you join the Avengers Club, you start saving money on your new issues, on your back issues, on your games, your toys, your supplies. Isn't it great to have a hobby you can actually save money on? That's what I like, especially in this economy. So make sure you join the Avengers Club while you're there. You can also join online if you're not in the greater St. Louis, St. Charles area. Again, BugsComicsAndGames.com. Join the Avengers Club online and start saving money. Whether you've lost your local comic book store or you're just in look for a new one, if you're on the lookout to get a brand new store to go to for your comic book needs, Bugs Comics and Games comes highly recommended by this guy, BugsComicsAndGames.com. Chatting for the rest of this hour with Chuck Dixon uh, just about all the stuff he's done. Before we took that last break, we were talking to him and I said, uh, when did you know that writing and creating would be your career? Well, I, I was always drawing cartoons and stuff like that. I, lo- I just loved comic books. I mean, I was just obsessed with them. 
and um, you know, I, I would just study them and, and trace them and try to draw my own. And uh, it really wasn't until we had a a thing in elementary school, an assignment in elementary school, to uh, the teacher handed around a box and it was clippings of photographs from uh, magazines. And she said, take one of these photographs, everybody take a photograph and write a story. And I said, well, well, can I have more than one photograph? (laughs) So so I took like five photographs and connected them into a story, and we all had to read them in front of the class. And when I read mine, I got a lot of laughs. (laughs) And I thought, wow, okay, this is what I want to do. (laughs) Especially if you're you're taking like a photo from like an old life magazine, putting it with something from like Elle or Vanity Fair. If you had to create that into a story, that'd be pretty impressive to do. Five very disparate uh, pictures. Yeah, so, you know, I had a storyline and, you know, a punchline at the end and everything else. So, I, I, you know, the kids liked it. So I'm like, okay, yeah, maybe this is what I should think about doing for the rest of my life because I, I, I enjoy it. I still enjoy it. And a lot of writers, they, they go to school and they think, I'm, I'm going to write the next great American novel. Uh, but then they sometimes they get into comic books and it's like, well, that wasn't my idea job, but I, this is kind of I've enjoyed doing it. And they might go the other way, too. So when you got into it, Comic books were something you saw yourself writing for. Yeah, yeah, I'm a comic book guy. I mean, I write novels, but I'm a comic book guy first and foremost. The, the scripting comic books is in my DNA because I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. I would study the comics, hmm. try to figure out, you know, how they do that, how they, uh, how they surprise me there, or why was that funny, you know, uh, and and just really dig in. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe you were hired originally by Larry Hama, who obviously we know from G.I. Joe and Wolverine and everything, to write backup stories for Savage Sword of Conan. Did you, right. how, how did that, did you apply for that job? Or did you apply to him directly? How did that come about? Well, I, I learned through an artist that, that I knew, uh, Hilary Barda, that Larry was starting up Savage Tales again. Uh, he was rebooting it as an anthology of war and Western and crime tales. And, and Hillary knew that I really dug that stuff. Uh, and he said, you know, you got to apply. And uh, he told me, you know, um, give Larry a call, but be careful. Larry can be a real bastard uh, <laughs> on the phone. <laughs> so I was kind of forearmed. You know, I'm not a real aggressive kind of guy, but, you know, I sort of like got myself, you know, spun up. And I called him and I, you know, he didn't know who I was, didn't care. And I said, look, Larry, on a book like this, you need me. And he says, I need you. Why would I need you? And I said, well, most comic writers don't know which end of a gun the bullets come out of. (laughs) And and he said, yeah, you're right. And and I said, well, I do. I'll do the homework. And and I said, you'll be happy with what I send you. So he said, well, send me some stories and I'll see if I need you. So I sent him about a dozen plot lines and he bought half of them. Huh. And and from there, you know, um, he began. He, he assigned me call the call backups, and then eventually the Savage Sword of Conan lead feature because I I proved I was reliable and um, you know could take direction. You know, didn't have a big ego. So uh, and, and after that, Larry couldn't do enough for me after that. And so you've got a good relationship with him now, regardless of his reputation before you met him. <laughs> yeah, well, he's still a prickly pear, and, you know, I'm not telling tales out of school. He knows he's a prickly pear. Uh, <laughs> but he could be he, he had a thing where he was really rough on freelancers at the beginning, and basically it was a uh, an acid test to see if you could stand up under pressure. Huh. And then w- once you proved you could, he left you alone. 
you know, he he was very encouraging and and all the rest of it. But he said, you know, I've met so many artists that he said absolutely horrible things. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and the thing is, you were supposed to come back at him and say, no, you're wrong. You know, and then come at him again because you know if you if he says if I give you a hard time and you go away, then I know I can't rely on you in a, in a crunch deadline. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting because I, yeah. I just just between you and me, so I I actually reached out to him to try to get him on the show because obviously his run on GI Joe. I grew up in the '80s. It was one of my favorite yeah. things, and he's basically the godfather of GI Joe. And absolutely, kind of like well, okay, we'll do it. But then when I finally came down to it. I said, he's like, why are you still bothering me about this? So I just kind of backed off. Maybe I should have said, no, 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 you agreed to do this. Maybe I should have gone at him harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's a genuine tough guy. Yeah. So. And then with uh, you went on from Conan, you were doing Mark Spector Moon Knight. Obviously, we discussed Punisher War Journal. And then it seemed like, like I remember mostly the stuff you were doing for the Bat titles, because obviously your run on Detective was absolutely brilliant introducing uh, obviously we got Bane from you and Graham Nolan and then Stephanie Brown the new electrocution everything like that and it's funny when you when I think of classic Batman duos obviously there's Englehart and Rogers there's Starlin and Aparo Grant and Brayfogle but Dixon and Nolan that's one of those names if I saw that on an issue of Detective or on Robin I was buying the book because I knew that was quality stuff you had a great rapport with Graham Nolan uh, talk a little bit about the work that you do as a writer and then the artist picking it up. Well, I mean, you know, working with Graham, um, you know, you know, I had been on Batman for a while and then we lost our regular artist on detective and the editors were casting around who will we get. And I said, get Graham Nolan. And they weren't sure about it because they never seen him do Batman. And a lot of the stuff he'd done is very light. They weren't sure he could do the dark stuff. I said, no, I said, Graham can do it. Um, you know, and they, you know, they brought him on and they were never sorry. And I wanted Graham not just because he's, he's a hell of an artist, but he's really a, he was a, he's a Batman scholar. I mean, he just knows everything about that character. So I knew if whatever I don't know, he's going to know. And I also knew he was dedicated to the character the way I was. So there wasn't going to be any phoning it in or, you know, a guy doesn't really care. Uh, so, you know, that's what you see on those pages, the two of us. Really, really passionate about Batman. <laughs> just love that stuff. And then with your run that the two of you did, uh, for you anyway, Detective Comics 644 all the way to 738, almost an entire 100-issue run, not to mention the other spinoffs and things you were doing in between then, you covered Nightfall, Night's End, Contagion, Legacy, Cataclysm, No Man's Land. When you're doing a giant story like that that's crossing over into a lot of the titles, how much free reign did DC give you to say, okay, we're, we're trusting you to architect this, and how much were they kind of editorially wanting certain things to happen and, and doing little tweaks to what you wanted? Well, when Denny, Denny O'Neill was group editor, I mean, you know, we would have these summits, and they would actually take us away to these really nice resorts for three days and uh, three or four days, and we would just work together from basically get up in the morning to bedtime, you know, and, and work these things out. And sometimes then he would provide us with the, the main framework. And then other times we would work it out as we went along, but it was, you know, a room full of conical geeks and a lot of whiteboards. <laughs> you know, and, and, and by the time we left that summit, we all knew uh, our assignments. We knew what each, what we had to do in each issue, but 
a lot of it was left up to us. I mean, there were obviously things that had to happen in each issue to carry the story along, but the rest of it, how we approached it or told it or the tone, it was entirely up to us. Uh, there's, Denny was a very hands-off editor. Hmm. And again, someone who's very knowledgeable about Batman, he'd been doing it for quite a while working on the title, yeah. so I guess he's kind of one of those guys knows who he's got working for him and can let you guys run with the ball and not have to micromanage them. Well, again, I mean, it's just like, you know, with, with Graham, uh, you know, we had Doug, Doug Mensch, we had Alan Grant. Uh, these guys loved the character. You know, we were into it. And, and then we respected, you know, we, we took, we didn't take ourselves seriously, but we took the work very seriously, just, just, just as Denny did. With all the work you've done on all these different titles, not just the Bat titles, do you, as a comic book lover, do you go back and continue to read to see what the next writer has done with the where the arc where you kind of left it? Or you kind of like, once you finish with a character, you kind of let it go for a little while? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't check. It's like, I, I always compare it to, uh, you know, watching your uh, kids go off with, the, with their stepdad. <laughs> you know, I, I don't really want to know what they're doing for the weekend. You know, I mean... Uh, you know, it's like my time is done on it, and I'm not, I'm not judging the guys that, and, and, and gals that came after me, but you know, I just I'm not being paid to work on this anymore. So I, I mean, I'm a professional writer. It's not like I'm a mercenary. I don't give a crap, and it's all about the money. But you know, when you're when you're in the arena, it's all about that. It's all about Batman. I mean, my life was all about Batman for 11 years, and uh, but the, you know that that time is over. And then as a comic book person who grew up reading comic books, do you still have a decent comic book collection? Because I know obviously the, the big two, especially, send out comps. And we've had Rick Burchett and people on this show talk about, yeah, I've still got a box and boxes and boxes of the, the comps on the books I was doing. Plus, they collected beforehand. Do you still have a collection or is that, is that not something you keep up with? Yeah, I got, I got a huge storage unit filled with comps. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, yeah, I, you know, it's we're living in an age where every single comic I've ever wanted to read has been reprinted somewhere. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, in in hardcover editions or paperback editions. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm reading Rip Kirby, the old comic strip from the fifties now. Oh so, sure, yeah. You know, I, I, so yeah, I'm I'm reading a lot of you know I'm constantly reading comics, and it's, you know I just read uh, a collection of Trots and Bonnie from National Lampoon. I mean I. <laughs> So I'm, I'm always reading it. I just love the medium. I just yeah. love, I love working in it. I love, I love to see what other people do with it. With two of the titles I want to ask about, because they're both uh, kind of Elseworlds tales, you had What If number 57, volume two, What If Punisher became an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and then obviously you famously wrote the amalgam title Bruce Wayne, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Was that just a happenstance that they kind of said, hey, do you want to write this story, or are you kind of... Uh, interested in those types of characters. There's similarities, obviously, between Bruce and Frank becoming an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, in both cases, uh, the stories were brought to me. I think Nell Yamtov was the editor on What If at the time. And he said, well, why don't you do a thing where Punisher joins S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I said, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and then with the Amalgam titles, they were all assigned to everybody. You know, they already figured out the characters. And they, they had just assigned me Bruce Wayne you know, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which uh, seemed like a good fit for me. And that series, I know, on ABC uh, it had its ups and downs. Did you keep up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the series? Were you a fan? Nah, what were your thoughts? No, nah, I, I, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't keep up. I don't keep up with a lot of that stuff. It, it's it's horribly disappointing to people when they go, oh, you see the latest Batman movie? You're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> is it it's just a matter of there's so much to consume and you kind of know what you want to see, or is it just a matter of having had the chance? 
Yeah, and part of it is, you know, like I said, I was in the arena, you know, and you're watching it, you know. Um, I mean, I should watch them because a lot of times they, they take elements that I worked on and uh, I can get a check out of them. Well, <laughs> so. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember uh, Batman Begins, I called Paul Levitz and said, hey, that scene where he picks out the Batmobile, nobody did that before me. And and he said, you're right. And they sent me a check. Nice. <laughs> so you got you got to keep on them, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, you got you to watch them. You got to watch them. So, but they're good about it. You know, if you point it out, they, they go back and look and say, yeah, you're right. You were, you were the guy that did that. And you were right there kind of in that, that golden age for Batman, too, because obviously Batman, the animated series, was huge. And there yeah. were, I, I even saw elements of like, oh, that, that's like a Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan thing or this. You could kind of pick out the episodes where it was more of a... Uh, Marshall Rogers type of, of of not look because it's his artwork, but that kind of that feel versus a more updated kind of what you guys were doing. Obviously with Bane, I'm assuming they they had to give you royalties on Bane, for example. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was a, you're right. It was a great time because I hate the word synergy, but there was a lot of synergy going on between us and the animation guys, and we would see them a lot. They would come to the DC offices, and uh, so there was a, a lot of interchange. And I remember talking quite a few times to Paul Dini on the phone about stuff. You know, he would have questions for me, or I would want to use elements from the animated series. Because you know, I would watch the animated series. I mean, I'm, I'm writing Batman now. I'm writing all these Batman titles. I'm, I'm deep into Batman lore. And and every single episode of Batman, the animated series, I would watch. i go, man, I wish I'd thought of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, was- so there was a lot of, lot of back and forth, a lot of mutual respect there, which it was a really cool time to be on the title. And I'm assuming, obviously, we got a great Bat- we got a great Bane from Batman the Animated Series. I, I thought it yeah. was well done. But I-, I assume, as the co-creator, you had to be a little disappointed with how they portrayed him in Batman and Robin. Yeah, well, you know, he was just a a a, a brute, a thug, you know. Uh, but you know, they made a lot of action figures, so <laughs> <laughs> made up for it. Yes. And what, did, do you get like that kind of merchandise too? Did yeah, yeah, yeah. Merchandising is where it's at. Thank God for Lego. Lego loves Bane. <laughs> yes. They use Bane everywhere. Everywhere they can, they stick Bane in. So, yeah, and it's funny because he's a more recent Bat villain, but he's gone up there to be right up at the top of the list with Two Face, Joker, Poison Ivy, and all the others. That's got to be uh, kind of a badge of honor to have someone fairly new to the Rogues Gallery, but who ranks that high in the mythos. It's pretty amazing. I mean, I just heard, you know, I I just was watching the news the other day and somebody made a Bane reference. And it's like, wow, they made a Bane reference and everybody knows what they mean. You know, it doesn't have to be explained. Everybody knows who Bane is. It's like, it's pretty freaky. Absolutely. And uh, talking about the, the, obviously, as a writer, you've also done graphic novel adaptations of movies and film. Obviously, very famously, the uh, the Hobbit that you did in the graphic novel form, but also Snakes on a Plane. Uh, yes. <laughs> a Nightmare on Elm Street type of spinoff. Is there is there a different, I don't want to say a different part of your brain, but when you're writing, do you have to focus on different aspects when you're doing an adaptation of a movie or a TV property versus just doing a established comic book property? Well, I mean, you've got to understand the property and what makes it tick. Um, you know, I, I won't take on something if I don't like it. You know, uh, you know, it's like I don't care for that franchise, so I would be the worst person to write for it. Uh, but you know, things like Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hobbit, you know, I was I was already a fan, so yeah, I, I could I could immerse myself in it. But you know, I could immerse myself in almost anything given the time, you know, to try oh, to yeah. understand the character. 
and obviously Star Wars General Grievous too for Dark Horse because uh, that that's a massive franchise in and of itself. Do you, as you've written some Star Wars titles and everything like that, have you kept up with any of the Disney Plus series? Because I think Mandalorian, from what you described, Punisher, that Lone Wolf, and obviously uh, with Levon Cade, that same kind of vein. His Mandalorian, did you get a chance to watch that? And what were your thoughts? Yeah, I watched Mandalorian. I haven't seen any of the other stuff, and I haven't seen any other than Rogue One. I haven't seen any of the recent Star Wars movies. Yeah, I, have, um, I, I would say you haven't missed anything if you haven't seen the other Star Wars movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Just me. it sounds like they would just make me angry. Yeah, so <laughs> very much so. And again, <laughs> uh, if you're listening right now, Levon's Prey, you can pre-order it on Amazon. It's on Kindle and in, in uh, physical media form. And obviously, we always recommend please support your local bookstores. Uh, that's out the tenth book in the series as of July twelfth. You also have the Bad Time series, which is a sci-fi, obviously quite a bit different from a thriller type thing. Uh, talk a little bit about the the genesis of that idea for the Bad Time series. Well, I I, I love historical fiction, but I I needed to get content out, and I didn't have time to sit down and research historical novels to the level that I would feel comfortable, you know. Um, but I thought, well, a time travel series, you're kind of dipping in and out, and it's told from a, you know, a, a, a current contemporary person's point of view. So I said, I can handle that. You know, um, and I like time travel stories anyway, even though my wife says I get schizophrenic when I write them. But, uh, <laughs> but, but so I thought, well, you know, military action, traveling back in time, uh, seemed like a natural to me. I, you know, I could do, I could utilize research I've already done and all the rest of it, but not worry so much about minutia and language and stuff like that because a modern person would, wouldn't re- even realize what they were looking at. Uh, so, you know, it just sort of grew from there. And, you know, I think I went schizo for a while. <laughs> over <six months. laughs> is, is there more in that series coming as well? We just, cause obviously we talked at the beginning about how you've already got the next Levon, uh, Levon Cade uh, book in your brain. Is there, are there more planned for the bad time series? Yeah. I want to get back to it maybe next year. I, I mean, the, the first six books kind of tell one story and I do wrap up all the, the loose ends by the end of the sixth book. But there's a lot more to tell. Uh, and so, you know, I'm always thinking of scenes and putting together the, the next book. But probably not till next year because the Levon stuff really is, is taking up. And, you know, it sells better than Bad Times. Oh, so really? Just, okay. I got to do what the market bears. You know, sure. everybody, you know, everybody's asking when's the next Levon. And my publisher would love it if I wrote a new Levon every two months. That's <laughs> never going to happen, but they would love that. How long, on average, does it take you to write uh, one of the Levon Cade books? Probably two months, and really? that's with oh, wow. doing other stuff in between. Wow! Um, you know, but two months total, unless I get stuck. I'm right. I'm right, I'm in the middle of a western now, and I'm a little bit stuck, so it's taking a little longer than usual. When you're stuck, be it whether you're in a western or a thriller or a sci-fi series, when you get writer's block, what in your for for you? Because obviously every writer is different. What kind of helps snap you out of that? Well, I, I, you can talk yourself. It, 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 writer's block is like ED. You can talk yourself into it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't believe in writer's block. Uh, I work way ahead of schedule, way ahead of schedule, and that prevents you getting writer's block because there's no deadline pressure. That's a good. Point. Uh, you know, I don't. And, and these days, I write what I feel like. If I want to write, if I want to start a new Levon novel next week, I just start it. You know, uh, if I want to do something else, I do that. So um, there's really no pressure. 
And, you know, when you first start writing professionally and you realize this is what I'm going to do for a living, this is how I'm going to pay the bills, you, you, you worry, wow, what if I don't come up with any ideas? But if you're a real professional writer, you know, they'll come. And I, I just don't worry about it anymore. The, the ideas will come. I can't, it's compulsive. I can't help myself. Do you get inspired by anything in particular, be it just, uh, you know, you might have a dream or you might see something on TV that kind of resonates with you a certain way? Is it uh, something music you'll hear, a certain part of music that inspires you? What kind of helps your creative process? Well, you know, dreams are terrible because there's no narrative. And, <laughs> and you know, you'll have this awesome dream. It's like, wow, it was so funny. No, you just dreamt it was funny. Uh, there was nothing actually funny happening. <laughs> and, and a lot of times you, you wake up and you're, you try to put a narrative to this insanity that just went through your subconscious. So, no, that's no good. I, I find the best thing is um, if I go on a long car drive and just have music on. Hmm. And just my mind just goes into this zen state. And whatever part of my brain this stuff comes from just sort of opens up and and things come together if i'm if i'm having trouble not writer's block but having trouble drawing a, a, a plot line together particularly in the novels because it's more complex i'll just i'll just you know get on veterans highway and put put music on hmm. and generally by the time i get home it's all worked itself out huh. that's it's always different every time i talk to a writer they always have a different way to kind of push through any kind of thing like that. So it's very interesting to hear how each writer handles it differently. That, that's, uh, that's cool to hear. And if, yeah. as if you weren't busy enough, if I'm not mistaken, you've got a Kickstarter, Hunter Ninja Bear. Talk a little bit about that if you We're going to talk about Hunter Ninja Bear. The Kickstarter's already passed, but it's a fascinating project. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. If you follow Chuck Dixon on Facebook, he's been posting about it and uh, some of the artwork and everything. It's, it's a really cool project, so we're going to get into that a little bit as well. Before we get to break, though, this weekend was opening weekend for Christmas traditions out in St. Charles. If you go to the website, discoverstcharles.com, you can check out the times that will be going on this coming Wednesday night. They'll be doing their Christmas carol walkthrough. So you'll basically be able to go through a Christmas carol. You'll see young Scrooge. You'll see the Fezziwigs. You'll see his engagement and his, the break off of his engagement to young Belle. You'll see the ghost of Jacob Marley. And you'll get all the way to finally the redeemed Scrooge with Tiny Tim. It's a great tableau they've got going all along South Main Street. It's only on Wednesday nights for this particular event. Friday nights, they've got Krampus knocked. If you want to get out and get your picture taken with Krampus, that's a good time to go to St. Charles on Friday nights. And then, of course, normal operating hours, Saturday and Sundays. You can interact with all your favorite friends like Jack Frost, Susie Snowflake. You can get your picture taken with international gift givers like Christkind and Labafana and St. Nicholas. And, of course, get your picture taken with Santa in a very unique way down at the train depot on Katy Trail. It's a great time to come out and celebrate the holiday season. It goes all the way through Christmas Eve every weekend and obviously every Wednesday and Friday night as well. It's a free event. It's family-friendly. There's a lot going on. And this entire area is made up of small businesses. 
all brightly lit for the holidays. It's absolutely picturesque. If you've never been before, check out the website, discoverstcharles.com. Click the Christmas Traditions tab, and you can check out all the fun things there are to see and do. If you've never had a chestnut roasted over an open fire, chestnut roasters will help you out there. Different period groups of carolers singing Christmas songs. It's a really, really great time. And this is, I believe, the 47th season. It's the longest running and largest Christmas festival in the entire country. I'm not kidding when I say people come from all over the globe to see this event. Check it out. Plan your trip now at the website, discoverstcharles.com. As we always say, it's an historically good time. We're going to take our last break. We're going to come right back and we'll chat more with Chuck Dixon. We'll hear about Hunter Ninja Bear. All that and more. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio on the Big 550 KTRS. Please stand by. Well, hi there, sugar. This is Lenore Sand Rogue, and I am coming to you from Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back, Geek to Me Radio. Every Sunday night on the Big Five Fifty, I'm your host James Enstall. Before we get back to Chuck Dixon, I want to make sure we tell you about our official movie sponsor, Marcus theaters lots of great movies out right now devotion is out in theaters uh steven spielberg's the fablemans is out of course wakanda forever is still playing as well get out and see a movie it's one of those times you've got relatives coming in town obviously uh after thanksgiving you don't know what to do get out and see a movie their holiday classic series december 2nd through the 15th five dollar admissions and you can see the grinch you can see elf the Polar Express, and of course, one of my favorite Christmas movies, Christmas Vacation. Also, while you're there, get their unlimited popcorn. You buy the bucket for $25. It's $4.50 to refill it every time you visit all the way through 2023. A great time to see movies, and there's no better place than Marcus Theaters. Check out the website, MarcusTheaters.com. You can get the tickets for I Want to Dance with Somebody coming out here on December 23rd. The story of Whitney Houston. Those tickets are now on sale, as are tickets for Avatar 2. That's out as well. Or I shouldn't say it's out, but the tickets are available right now. The best place to do it is from the website. Once again, Marcus Theaters, the best movie-going experience in the galaxy. Chatting with Chuck Dixon here as we close the hour out, we were asking about the new project he just did a Kickstarter for, Hunter Ninja Bear. Uh, yeah, it's from a new company, Phenom Comics, and it's they came to me with the storyline. It's basically about a band of ninjas in the early 1800s when they banned ninjas. Uh, you know, ninjas had to go into hiding, and they're, they're, the ninjas are living as farmers at the base of Mount Fuji when they begin running into problem with a bunch of bears, these huge homicidal bears. And, and ninjas are good at killing men, but they're no good at hunting or killing animals. And so one of them... After a disastrous, a disastrous event with these bears, he travels to the western United States. He travels to San Francisco, and he finds himself some mountain men, American mountain men, and he brings them back to Japan to hunt these bears to extinction. Hmm. And and that's it. It's, it's it, the idea is insane, <laughs> and they and they handed me this thing and just said run with it. Huh. And they get, they they created a lot of the characters were already built in. They did a lot of research, although I had to do a lot more. And uh, we ended up with a 360 page graphic novel, wow. which is com- which is completed. This isn't Kickstarter. You give your money and you wait six years. It's completed. You know, it, it, once the Kickstarter campaign is over, 
shortly thereafter, you will receive this this massive tome. And so the Kickstarter is it's it's active now. Do you know when it ends? Uh, I think it's got like 21 days left. Okay, so there's still some time if people are listening yeah. and want to back it, and you can obviously you go there and look at the artwork. Uh, Mel Ruby and Rob Hunter, the artwork is just, and Ivan Nunez on the colors. The it's just gorgeous. And is there any plans for if this? I mean, since you said it's already done, the Kickstarter, I guess, is just to help distribution and things like that. Well, mostly promo. I mean, you know, the dirty little secret about these uh, crowdfunding things is, you know, mostly they're just used to get the word out. Okay. So is there, so, if, depending on how well it goes, do you, do you know, is there any plans for a sequel? Maybe Hunter Ninja Yeah, Lion yeah, they or? definitely want it. They, they want to get me started on a sequel uh, once the Kickstarter campaign is done. So and they have, they have a whole, if you go to the Kickstarter, you'll see a whole line of comics they have coming out. You know, graphic novels, big Huh. Big, thick, chunky books. I, they, they have another one of mine coming up called Seven Deadly Sinners that they'll be doing a campaign for soon. And it's fascinating how, again, that's a, that's a new thing with technology that, that the creators, the artists, the writers, uh, even the companies in this case with uh, 100 Ninja Bear can reach directly to the consumer and kind of cut out the middleman. Not, not the comic book shops, but the, the, like the diamond distributions, everything like that. It feels right. like uh, people can really it's almost like we're in a brand new golden age where consumers can pick and choose exactly what they want uh, story-wise, comic-wise, and things like that. Well, there's a huge underserved comic book audience that, that aren't reading them regularly anymore. They want to, but they don't see anything they want. And this way we can reach out to people like, hey, you like war comics? We've got a war comic. You know, you like crime comics? We've got this crime comic. And that, that matches with the fact that you also have an army of underemployed comic book talent out there. Sure, yeah. You know, who, who do, you, know you have guys who are at the peak of their abilities, and, and there's no work for them. So they have to create their own. I mean, guys like Graham Nolan and, and Brian Polito and guys like that who, you know, basically built their own crowdfunding empires. Yeah, it's cool to see, too, because obviously we mentioned with DC and, and Marvel, obviously the big two, a lot of these creators, they're getting some thanks at the end of the Marvel movies as you go through the giant scroll and everything like that. But they're not they don't own the properties where a lot of these Kickstarters give that control to the creators to do what they want with and everything like that, which is another nice thing. Yeah, and if it's Marvel, all you get is thanks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at least at DC, if your name appears at the end of that movie, you know there's a check down the road. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I, I, I had a, we had Roy Thomas on the show not too long ago, and he was like, hey, um, by the way, that was my idea you used in that Marvel movie. And he, has, he does what yeah. you had to do. He had to kind of go after him and say, hold on a second. That was my, that was all me. Uh, so even yeah. with Roy Thomas, they were doing that. That's kind of sad to hear. Yeah, yeah, it is, but you know they're they're not a grateful bunch. At least at DC and DC's actually getting better about it because they've started, uh, you know, automatically giving out checks for story content. Uh, because like, I made money off the last Birds of Prey novel or last Birds of Prey movie. I never saw it. I don't know what they used, but it was a nice check. Nice, very. That's, that's that. The check is good, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> and with everything you're doing, you're you, obviously we're very busy. We're writing novels, and you're uh, doing the Kickstarter and everything. If I know you recently just came back and did a story in the Robin 80th anniversary. If they were ever to come back and say, "Hey, we need someone to come back to Detective or to Nightwing or to Catwoman," would would there be a world in which you would come back and write one of those again, or do you kind of feel your time in the Bat family is past? I, I don't know. It, I would need some guarantees, you know, like. All right, am I coming back for twelve issues? 
then you, I got to come back for 12 issues. You can't like fire me after three issues for no reason. You know, obviously if I'm screwing up or not handing the stuff in or whatever, if there's cause, but if I'm handing the stuff in and it's selling, you keep me on, uh, for 12, you know, like a, like a continuity contract, like we used to sign back in the nineties. But uh, yeah, I went to guarantee because there's nothing worse than, I mean, last time I was back in DC on a regular basis, they just sort of cut me off at the ankles and just took me off of all my books at once and never gave me a reason. I said, well, I'm not getting myself in that situation again. No, yeah, I don't blame you there. Because I was, you know, I was, once again, I was back into it. You know, my mind is occupied with it. And then all of a sudden they call and say, you know, stop it. We don't want you anymore. And it's like, no, I'm I'm never, I'm never going in blind like that again. One of your uh, DC stories that you did remains one of my favorite series was Joker's Last Laugh. Uh, where the doctor tells him he's dying and he believes it, so he's gonna yeah. that that what what caused the idea for that? Because that was such a fun, brilliant, just over the top, bonkers, insane story that affected a lot of stuff in the DC universe. Talk a little bit about the uh, the idea for that, if you would. Well, what happened was Denny O'Neill called a moratorium on using the Joker. He says we're not going to see the Joker for a year because we've overexposed him to an insane degree. So listen, no Joker for a year, and this was across the DC universe. Now, of course, other editors violated it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but when, when I heard that, uh, I mentioned it to Scott Beatty, and I thought, you know, we got to come up with, when the Joker does come back, when the moratorium's over, it's got to be an event. You know, so let's start thinking about that. And uh, we came up with this, you know, idea, which I thought, you know, what we thought was really elegant, of you know all the ba- all the DC villains becoming Jokerized, they get this like chemical that basically turns them as crazy as the Joker, and 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 it was elegant because all of the it was a company wide crossover and every creative team did, could do their own take on it. There was no direction, there was no limits. Just do whatever you want with this you know high concept idea, and uh, you know, and it was very successful. It sold really yeah. really well. No, but they they don't you know they don't really acknowledge that by reprinting it all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it's so weird how they do that because we've talked to uh, J.M. DeMattis on here, and he, and he said the same thing. He's like that that Spider-Man run that he did in Spectacular. Uh, yeah. He said, I don't understand why Marvel hasn't reprinted that because so many fans have asked for it. So I don't I don't understand the rhyme or reason as to why certain things are not reprinted and put in graphic form by certain companies, uh, DC and Marvel especially. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's really weird. I mean, the, the same year that we did Last Laugh, they did the Superman World at War. And they reprint that all the time. It's yeah. had an omnibus and everything else. It, it didn't sell as well as Last Laugh. Last Laugh sold a lot more than uh, Our World at War, but that was their baby that year, and they just promoted the hell out of it. But, you know, we we beat them circulation-wise. Huh. So that's, I, I, I mean, why wouldn't we? It's a Joker-centric. <laughs> you know, yeah, of course. You know, our, our concept was more elegant than theirs. I mean, it was more easy to grasp. Yeah, it seems like so. the Batman books always sell. I know looking at uh, the distribution list now, out of the top 50 books sold, I think for DC, three-quarters of them are Bat books, Bat titles of some of right. some fashion. So it's uh, one of those things Batman is always very bankable. Joker, obviously, is no exception to that. Yeah, yeah. Batman, you know, Batman's like pizza. It's hard to screw up. Right, <laughs> exactly. Because it's such a, at its base, it's such a cool character. You know, you got to work hard to ruin Batman. And I don't want to keep you too much longer. I, with all the different characters you've written, obviously you've, you've done a, an issue of action comics before. We mentioned Mark Spector, Moon Knight, and everything like that. Is there a character throughout your tenure that you never had the chance to write that you had a great story in mind for, but you never had the chance to put it down, down on paper? 
Um, well, I, I, you know, I kept in my back pocket a, a Batman crossover event, and they eventually did it. You know, Batman marries Catwoman, but oh. but mine was more complicated than what they ended up doing. Um, you know, and I, you know, I kept it in my back pocket too long. <laughs> Someone else did it. But you know, I always, I always had that idea that, you know, if we were at a summit and stuck for something, I said, look, look, this is my idea, you know, for a year long continuity of, uh, of Selena Kyle and Bruce Wayne getting married. Here's why it happens. And here's why they have to break up and all the suspense elements. I had it all worked out, but it never got to write it. So did you get a chance to read? I think it was Tom King wrote that uh, that arc. Did you get a chance to yeah, read that? Yeah, I read parts of it, and it just, I, it just, it wasn't what I had come up. It just felt flat compared to what I'd come up with. It was a, a bit contrived and a bit truncated. Um, but you know, because I had a thing where they get married, but she's she's under some sort of pressure that she has to break the marriage up because of her past, things in her past. Hmm. And if she doesn't, Batman will die. But she can never let him know that. Uh, so, you know, he thinks it's, you know, it's all my fault. What, what, why are we breaking up? That kind of thing. Hmm. So, so basically her past, her criminal past, causes complications in their marriage. It's the reason why they, they have to separate. Uh, but, you know, it's like a suspense element hanging over the whole thing. But I, I would have loved to have written that. And then that begs the question, too, with all the characters you've written. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of these characters now adapted, especially Marvel has really kind of gotten the ball going because I feel like DC, we're only seeing Batman movies, little Superman thrown in here and there. Uh, but still, now with Robert Pattinson kind of rebooting that franchise, we're not seeing the the depth of the bench of characters that we're seeing from Marvel uh, we've right. obviously had Moon Knight on Disney Plus. Now Ms. Marvel is out. We're getting She-Hulk. What, do you keep up with any of those? And there, if you do, are there any of the series or movies that have impressed you as far as that was really well done? It was much like the comic book, et cetera, anything like that? Yeah, I really don't follow them. I mean, I follow them when people tell me about them. Like, they, oh, did you see they did this? Did you see they did that? And, and, and my, my youngest son watches some of them. He tells me some of the stuff that happened. But, yeah, I, it's, I just don't follow them. There's, there's too much, too many other things I want to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the glut of content, it's hard to keep up with. Someone like me, it kind of tries to stay on the edge of it so I can talk knowledgeably about it for the radio show. But, man, there's it, it's it's like drinking out of a fire hose right now with <laughs> all the content we've got. Oh, seriously, seriously, it's impossible to keep up. And last question before I let you go. Uh, obviously, you've got the last, I don't, I don't want to say the last book, but the most recent book, the, the newest book, book 10, in the Levon Cade series, Levon's Prey, uh, out July 12th. We mentioned the Kickstarter for Hunter Ninja Bear, uh, that you can check that out on Kickstarter as well and still back that. Is there Are there any conventions you have coming up? Any plans where people, if they want to get stuff signed, books, posters, like I've got posters uh, that we could get signed by you? Any uh, convention appearances well, for 2022? Yeah, COVID kind of got me out of the habit of leaving the house. <laughs> right, yeah, sure, Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, if if anybody wants something signed, I mean, I'll get back to conventions eventually, but if anybody wants something signed, they can contact me at brutobookstore at gmail.com. And, and, you know, if they want to send me something, I'll sign it, you know. Perfect. Uh, that's very nice. That uh, yeah, it's always fun to get. We're we're doing these conventions again. I'm so glad that the world's starting to open back up because uh, conventions were one of the things I greatly missed. Uh, yeah. So, Hopefully I'll be able to actually meet you in person one day. And if you're listening, check out ChuckDixon.com. 
Net. That's the website for all things Bad Times, all things Levon Cade, all the other stuff he's got up there, and you can kind of keep up with them there. Are, are you active on social media at all? Any handles there we can give out for people to follow you? Well, I'm, I'm Chuck Dixon on Facebook, and I'm uh, Dixonverse on uh, Twitter. So, so Twitter and, keep, and, I, and I have a YouTube channel, so Chuck Dixon. We'll put links, so if you're listening right now, you can go down to the bottom of the page in the show notes, and you can click those links. We'll have those available as well, so you can keep up with them. Uh, this has been an absolute delight for me to be able to talk to you. Like I said, I'm a big fan of all the stuff I've read of yours over the years, uh, so I thank you for your time. Chuck Dixon, have a great rest of your day. Thanks for the kind words, and thanks for having me on. There he goes, Chuck Dixon. Always great to talk to somebody who was a uh, work I've grown up reading and admiring. Uh, like I said, it doesn't get much more prolific than Chuck Dixon. That's going to do it for us. Another show in the books. Stick around, though. If you're listening to 550KTRS, Max on Movies is up next. He's got McKenna Grace, an interview with her, and he reviews both of the Enola Holmes films. So you got that coming up. Thanks again to Chuck Dixon for being on the show. Thank you to Bugs Comics and Games. Discover St. Charles S. That's Discover St. Charles S. T. Charles.com. And to Marcus Theaters, our official movie sponsor. Thank you to Joy V for the video tonight. I think we'll uh, do this again going forward. We might even throw a camera here and add me in next time if I'm looking a little better. I'm a little disheveled tonight. Thank you to all of you who listen and watch. Now, until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you look when you make him a throw trap and says, That's a show. This is Geek Town Radio. That's a show. Bloodhaven, good night. Hey kids, are your parents about to buy you a shiny new toy from Amazon? Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? Well, don't be selfish. Share some of that money with us. Before going on Amazon, make sure to type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. It will look just like Amazon.com, except it'll say Referral geek to me Radio up top. And then when you check out, a tiny percentage will go to support the show without costing you one cent more. So before your parents get you that gizmo, gadget, or widget, make sure they type in bit.ly slash geek to me in the web browser. Bit.ly slash geek to me. Bit.ly slash geek to me.